This podcast is made possible by Vital Smarts, the Speak Up Experts. With more than 30 years of conversation research, three New York Times bestselling authors and over 3 million people trained, that's Vital Smarts. If you're struggling to hold a tough conversation in the office or at home, visit vitalsmarts.com.au slash DSTM to master your speak up skills and create an environment of accountability. I felt like I was reading Truth circa 1974. I couldn't believe that a major metropolitan newspaper in Australia has put this on the front page of the paper. The bottom line for the AFL is it's not making any money, this competition. Hey, there have been a few clubs over the years that haven't made any money, but the AFL have stuck by well, them. Well, exactly. I mean, as one AFL executive said to me when GWS made the grand final, it's only cost us $200 million. Elliot actually, through his humour and his incredible emotional intelligence, has actually tapped into the reader's own experiences. I reckon a lot of men will read this and be squirming as well. A friend of mine knew Lady Sonia quite well in Sydney and said to me, great to take out, bugger to get home. (laughs) Sometimes I look at the hundreds of dollars up there sitting above the fridge and I think, oh, those cookbooks. What is it about cookbooks? We all have an obsession... Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Good morning, afternoon, whatever, everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my dear friend, Corey Perkin, who I feel as though I haven't seen for months. Corey? Months. You've had an away week, Caro. I've had a mini break. It hasn't. It's, it's quite... been. It's lovely to see you, and I forgot to say thanks for bringing in my coffee this morning. It's come all the way from Jim, so I hope it's still warm enough, Corrie. Um, now, what they make? You have a coffee urn at Jim. Well, no, but we have coffee after Jim. Oh, and everybody has a muffin, I bet, no. and pretends that they've done exercise. <laughs> no, we never have muffins, and we don't pretend we do exercise. We worked very hard this morning. Thank you very much. Um, mini breaks can be quite stressful because you've got all this stuff you want to get done and you should be relaxing and you should be doing this and you should be doing that. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it is time to start a new challenge. We've got an October challenge coming up. Corrie is very interested in the workplace romance between Rodney Higgins and his 23-year-old Clark. We're going to talk about the AFLW again Corrie has a fabulous crush. She's been delving through her bookshelves. I have a fabulous summer spring recipe and I've been to the movies. So, Corrie. It's all happening. Now, first of all, um, we had my mum on last week. Oh, lots of Cheerios from uh, potties who have been visiting the bookshop. In fact, one lovely visitor the other day on the weekend said, I love Caro's mum. Do you think I could meet her? And I said, well... Next time we have a function, which will probably be our Christmas breakup, I'm sure Julie will be there. Make sure you buy a ticket. Oh, she's just getting... She's, she has her own fan club. Too famous for her own good. Is she too... getting a big head? No, she's not. <laughs> she's not. Now, um, her crush of the week last week, Corrie, was Maureen Hafey, who, of course, in that beautiful white Carla Zampardi jacket, not that that was all about the outfit, presented the Premiership Cup to Damien Hardwick and Trent Cotchin. And um, we just want to say a big thank you to Liz Doyle, who has sent us a fabulous video from 1972, an edition of This Day Tonight. Paul Barber, our old friend Paul Barber, the late and great, did a story on the Hafey family and the life of a footy wife. So we're going to have a brief listen to a snippet of it now. Another day at the Hafey household. Husband Tom has already run five miles along the beach, had a swim, cooked breakfast for the family and gone to work, all before eight o'clock. Tonight he has football commitments, last-minute planning for tomorrow. He'll be lucky to get home before 10.30, and it's been pretty much the same every night since last January. But Maureen Hafey has no regrets about being married to a football robot. Well, I really love the game, and I most definitely back Tommy up and go to every match. Do you actually have much contact with the players and and this sort of thing and with the club? Oh, well, our social life is mostly um, at the club. We have the players quite often out for dinner. You have them out here at your home, do you? Yes. How often does that take place? Oh, we might have, say, two couples nearly every Monday night, and sometimes they might pop in on a Friday night or any time over the weekend. It's hard to imagine that the wife of a football coach would be allowed to have another interest, but Maureen Hafey does, and with husband Tom's blessing. Always interested in fashion and design, she runs a children's boutique. But as the footy photos which adorn the shop suggest, she's not allowed to forget her position in life. Good luck to Tom. Say bye-bye, Maureen. Say bye-bye, 
Tom. <laughs> She's not allowed to forget her position Paul, in life. Paul, that is that is very. I went to Paul's 60th actually at Leonda. Yeah, well, Va- Vale, Paul Barber, and I worked with him for a couple of years on um, down the road, ABC Radio. And I worked with him at 3AW. Yes. He was on after me. But... Oh, yeah, we used to have a fabulous time. I went on his show and talked about uh, oh, matters of the week, probably a bit like Don't Shoot the Messenger, but very sexist. <laughs> it was. I don't know. It was. I don't know how. I don't know whether I'm laughing or angry. We're going to um, show the full video of that on our Facebook page. But um, no, no, I thought it was. It was. I think it was a piece of time, Corrie. But doesn't it remind you, piece though, of, Carol, of behind every football coach, there has always been a strong, dedicated woman or band of women. Well, behind every successful football coach, um, and you know there are some women football coaches now, although none of them in the AFLW. They all got the flick after year one. Um, what I think about football coaching is that if you don't have a wife who really loves the game and is completely dedicated to, you know, obviously having your own life, but being incredibly supportive and loving what your husband is doing, I don't think you can, it can work. And we have seen, I mean, Patsy Blight is another great example of someone who just, I mean, she wasn't Tammy Wynette, but she was, they were a partnership. Mm. And um, there were there are many of them and they go, the list goes on. But um, I think some coaches these days are struggling because their partners just loathe the publicity, loathe the scrutiny, loathe the pressure. And if they're not that interested in footy, it only makes it a lot harder. Um, now, another um, lovely listener, Lelieve on Instagram, says, Caro and Corrie, please tell Julia about India Hicks's podcast with Lady Pamela. Lots of mentions of life as a Mountbatten. She is sure mum would enjoy it. If mum could get her head around turning on another podcast. We, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll plug her into that. We'll make sure that we load her up with that, Caro. Uh, I just wanted to say on the Mountbatten book, we've had a few inquiries at the shop and I'm sure other bookshops have as well because your mother gave the big rave to Andrew Loney's biography. They are out around the country. I understand that the distributors are bringing more in from the UK. So if you're interested in buying a copy, just um, send me an email at the bookshop if you want us to put one aside, Corrie at mybookshop.net.au or give the shop a call or call your local uh, bookshop and ask them to put one aside. It's called okay. The Mount Battens by Andrew Loney. And Corrie, Emma Lucy Fay on Instagram laughed out loud at your toilet paper story and can totally empathise. She once asked her husband to pick up some pumpkin and he came home with a whole pumpkin. Husbands and shopping. Mm, I, I can't say, you know, like, I just... I'm just going to leave it there for all the women folk to think about their pantries. Brendan and I did have an issue once with chicken. I think I asked him to buy two chickens to be um, to do a family roast and he came home with two roasted chickens or maybe That's came... not too bad. At least you can eat them. You don't have to well, do yeah, okay. But as Brendan always says, it doesn't matter what I get because you'll tell me I'm wrong anyway. <laughs> they, they, oh, look, I don't know. I think probably your sister, Moggs, you told us last week, she and Tony have started shopping together. And maybe get, that's the way to do it. They've, they've become Aldi aficionados. It's sort of like a cult. Anyway, look, we've got some great recommendations, Corrie, for your book club reads via our Facebook page. You're working on a list. We are. We want people to add their suggestions. We do. And in a couple of weeks, we'll have a special special guest who's a very dear customer of mine and quite a famous person in his own right. He will be coming in to join you and I and we'll, we're going to talk about good books we've read this year that we think could make good book club books. Obviously, we want you there, Potty's writing as we say it, but we'll also put it up on the show notes. I think that will be quite a helpful list, Caro. October Challenges. Well, it's what funny. What are you doing? Well, as it's funny you should say that. I was there were a couple of ideas. Obviously, they involve fairly domestic sort of things because I'm doing a bit less work now. The footy season's over. I did buy seedling punnets. Have you ever seen seedling punnets with the funny plastic sort of dome over the top, and you put the special stuff in and plant your seeds? I've done that. I've done a heap of work in the garden, but I can only come back to books, Corrie, because I have not read. I don't think I've read a novel for a month. And you know, you know me. I'm a voracious reader, but when life gets busy, I, I just don't read. So I'm back on reading. I'm going to read. My my challenge is to read a book a week. Yeah, a book a week. I'm all. I've nearly finished the Dutch House. I am loving. Isn't it, it gorgeous? Loving. I it. Can't, can't wait for us down. to talk about that and patch it. Maybe next week we do a joint. Uh, 
you know. Yeah, we should. We you should. and I talk about the because same Because I can't put it down. I'm oh, I agree it. with you. It's so, isn't she such a beautiful oh, – oh, okay, well, hold on. And, and mum gave me this one, um, the best of A.A. Gill. Mm. I cannot put this down either. So I'm sort of doing, you know, a fiction and a non-fiction at the same time. His – um, essay on dinner parties is one of the funniest things I've ever read. His essay on Starbucks, his story about dying and um, dealing with the NHS when you have cancer. I mean, he is just a wonderful writer. So the best of A.A. Gill is another one, Corrie. What about you? What's your challenge? Well, my October challenge is I'm going to pick up on your food thing. Remember a couple of months ago, Caro, you decided to revisit all your cookbooks. Well, yes. I'm not exactly doing that. I managed to get through about six, which I thought was pretty good. Well, that's good because it, it now it justifies their existence on your shelf if you've cooked out of them. We've got a long way to go. <laughs> Sometimes I look at the hundreds of dollars up there sitting above the fridge and I think, oh, all I those cookbooks. Um, what is it about cookbooks? We all have an obsession. Anyway, I thought what I would do is I would be uh, the canary down the coal mine. Uh, there are a whole lot of new cookbooks have come out this month for spring and summer and obviously the Christmas trade. Just what we need, another cookbook. <laughs> so I thought that I would cook out of at least four, maybe I'll try even six, see how I'll, see how I go. But the first cookbook I'm going to cook out of, and in fact I'm going to do this for you on the weekend because you and Brendan are coming around for a meal, I'm going to cook something out of The Shared Table by Claire Serene. And those who came to the 100th, episode uh, live podcast in the shop, I did say that the shared table quite possibly could take out our cookbook of the summer award. And I'm still pretty convinced it's a fabulous book. There are a couple of things here I want to try. So next week I'll report in. And then I think that's quite helpful because potties can think at the end of it, oh, well, that I heard about that cookbook. That's terrible or that's good or whatever. So okay. that's what I'm doing. So, so in terms of um, cooking, can I just briefly say, and Jeff Slattery, close your ears. I had so much mint in my garden. I thought I've got to make pesto. I know that basil is what the only ingredient, is a no, what's the word? Non-negotiable. Yes. In Jeff's idea of pesto. But I made mint and macadamia pesto because I had all these macadamia nuts as well. Oh my God. It was absolutely beautiful. Well, that would be beautiful with lamb, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. So are you doing lamb? I don't know yet. I haven't decided. Oh, oh no, okay. I have. I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I haven't had meat for about 10 days, so I thought we might have a bit of a barbie on the weekend. So, Looking there forward. There you go. Now, Caro, let's talk about this magistrate, Rodney Higgins, and his 23-year-old clerk who he has decided to propose to. Do you think this is appropriate or inappropriate? Look, uh, the, the problem with these issues is um, there's two things. Obviously, the power imbalance. The fact it's in the workplace and, and, and the power imbalance is obviously a problem. Not such a problem if neither party is married, obviously, although um, the, and, and then the fact that they, they're getting married in a way legitimises it, doesn't it? I mean, that, that, would be, that would be his interest. But what was interesting to me was the court circulating that email about inappropriate behaviour. Were you surprised by that? Well, I was a bit surprised because, as we know, since the Harvey Weinstein episode, hashtag Me Too, you know, that whole thing has kind of come into the fore. And I know a lot of workplaces, particularly in the legal world, I know friends who are partners or work at legal firms where suddenly the policies were addressed and there are new policies across the board. I know Victorian government has a new one about relationships. We know, of course, that the Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Turnbull, well, came, out, <laughs> came out and said no one's to have you know relationships at the workplace. Uh, I think what is interesting here is that they probably have, it sounds like the magistrate's court, Mr Higgins works in Gippsland, and so I don't know whether this is typical of the Gippsland magistrate's court or country courts or Victorian courts generally, but they didn't seem to have a policy in place. And so this is the lesson that we all have to learn. If you have a business or you work in a business or something, for goodness sake, make sure that you have these policies in place. So you're not, it's not, you know, you're not kind of running after the cart after it's already taken off. Look, the only, the only other point I'd make is, and the News Limited coverage of this story has been... I was appalled. Were you? I was. Because? Well, after, well, for the same reasons I felt uncomfortable, Caro, about the Jimmy Bartell and Nadia Bartell marriage breakup coverage, when I saw this, uh, the front page of the Herald Sun the other day and then the big spill inside, and that's when I contacted you and said, I think we have to talk about this, I felt like I was reading truth circa 1974. I, I just I couldn't believe that a major metropolitan newspaper in Australia has 
put this on the front page of the paper. Now, I, now you all then say, oh, yes, it was the most read, and I'm sure that, that their hits were huge, and I'm sure. But what is it about somebody's relationship? Is it the fact that he is old, he's in his 60s, Mr. Higgins, and his uh, now fiancé is 23? What is the issue here? Is it the power imbalance, as you said? What are we inferring by putting this on the front page? Oh, I think it's scandalous. It's salacious. It's salacious. And um, well, but if it's legitimate, if they have fallen in love and he's proposed, did a really interesting segment the other week, didn't they, in their sounding board about um, a new policy in News Limited where you actually get bonuses for extra clicks. I think that's right, and that this policy was it was like the perfect storm for Jimmy Bartell because that policy was introduced around the time his marriage breakup became public, and they had never seen anything like they had never seen anything like the amount of clicks or hits or whatever it's called, and so you know that sort of ex- maybe explains why a group of people at the Herald Sun have been going after Jimmy Bartell and continually writing about him. So I would think that this is a similar issue here, but the extension of that is, and, and our fr- old friend Wayne Ludby put out a pretty interesting and quite it's pretty malicious tweet about it, saying that um, there's a lot of hypocrisy because of all the inter-office relationships that go on at the Herald Sun, many of them extramarital when one at least one of the two is married or maybe both, including some of the people who are writing these articles. And um, I think he even added at the end of his comment, uh, the fish rots at the head. When I criticise, for example, gambling promotion by the AFL and their really difficult relationship with the betting companies. People say, oh, and your article in The Age had a bet easy ad below it. And I, I understand that. I can understand why you would say that. I don't think that makes me hypocritical. But if you're writing about someone's extramarital affairs in a vaguely sort of lecturing sort of tone, do you think you need to be squeaky clean? Well, certainly I don't, not having I, an extramarital I don't affair think, at I the don't time. Th- I don't think it should be in, in a paper like The Herald Sun as we knew it. Yep. So, Caro what, 40, 45 years ago, Billy McMahon, who then went on to become Australia's Prime Minister, married Sonia McMahon, who was a a beautiful girl in her 20s, a model. Uh, There was, I think, a 40-year difference between them. I I don't recall, even though I was a child, but even when, you know, look back on that period of time, I don't recall this kind of front-page treatment, which is a suggestion to me that that somebody at the Herald Sun has made an editorial decision, this is not on, or as you said, this is salacious. If it's a legitimate relationship, what is it that fascinates or what is it that the editorial board think fascinates the reader? And indeed, are we fascinated by the fact that there's an old young, is it the old young thing? Is it the older man, younger woman thing that we can't get our head around? Just just the fact that it's salacious scandal, I think. It's I mean, just- I mean, mean, there's about 10 reasons why Jimmy and Nadia's breakup is because they were such a high-profile media company, the footy angle, the um, infidelity angle, the fashion angle. There's so many different angles. Um, As for this one, it's, you know, life in the judiciary. Look, I I can't – why is the AFL trade period get more clicks and more hits than – grand final week, you know, than than actual, you know, unbelievable games of football. People – I don't know. They love the machinations of behind the scenes. The human drama. I guess. I guess. A friend of mine knew Lady Sonia quite well in Sydney and said to me once, um, great to take out, a bugger to get home. <laughs> I, don't quite, I don't want to ask any more questions she was, there. She was great you mean fun. she was a party girl? Or? She was a lot of fun, Lady Sonia. <laughs> yeah, great, great, great fun. But I won't, I won't go on anymore. So, Corrie... While we're on the subject of, I think I mentioned the trade period, footy, the other big footy story at the moment is the ongoing industrial dispute between the women footballers and the AFL. In fact, it's not only a dispute between the players and their bosses, but the players and their union. Um, I reckon I wrote about five, six, six weeks ago that there was a chance they could split from their union. There is so much disenchantment among the AFLW, and this is just such a classic case of... Um, be careful what you wish for. You know, I don't think the AFL foresaw that their women footballers, who they treated like rock stars in year one and fated them and there was so much emotion and so much, well, well, it was more than gratitude from the women, but an appreciation that they were finally, after years of being told they couldn't have a league of their own or a proper national league, they had one. They, you know, the first game was locked out, sold out. They had to shut people out of Princess Park. I was there. I remember thinking, my Lord, this is just going to go nuts. Well, there was, it, it's, um, 
it's probably plateaued. You know, the crowds have dropped. Yes, there is a massive crowd for the grand final last year in Adelaide, um, over 50,000. But the women are now saying, hang on, why can't we get umpires from the same pool of umpires? Why do we get the second-rate change rooms? Because of the fixture next year, there are going to be double-headers. Why do we get the second-rate change rooms at the MCG? Um, Why did you introduce four more teams when you actually can't, you know, Handle, handle the ones you've got. <laughs> well, well, there's just not enough talent and we want to play each other once each and we're not. It's it's like a, it's still like an exhibition tournament. Um, internally, there's um, there's a, a lot of the um, senior women, some of whom work in the gender equity space, are getting some pretty strong advice from places like Morris Blackburn and even um, human rights experts like Kate Jenkins telling them what they should be asking for. Key... Gender workplace advocates have quit from the advisory body from the AFLPA. Paul Marsh, the head of the Players' Union, is, I reckon, on the defensive and really worried. The AFL is really worried. They're bolstering their own reinforcements in their own internal football departments because they don't have enough people to deal with this, and neither, in my view, does the union. Some of the girls are upset with Daisy Pearce, who's come out and defended the AFL and the deal they've been offered. And it really isn't about money. It's more about the shape and the rights and the... Um, Respect. Well, yeah, it is. It is. And they don't and see Cara, why every game has to be and televised. At the heart of, and hard, at the heart of this, uh, young players like you and I know, Kat Newton, like we, we, we know a lot of young girls who have put their faith in this new program, not just the AFLW, but just the idea of women playing competitively and there might be a future career there. What about them? What are they thinking? Where, when's training start? When? What's the match um, process look like next year? Where? Where's the game? Where's the backing? Well, well, look. I think the deal will get done. I think it'll get done in the next few weeks, and preseason will start in November, and the first round will be the start of February. I think the final, the grand final, will be the week after Easter. So there will be this problematic rounds one and two of the AFL season when the women play will have to play double headers with the men. Just don't call them curtain raisers. They're double headers. And, and, you know, the bottom line for the AFL is it's not making any money, this competition, and Channel 7 and Fox Footy aren't going to give them any sort of money for it, not serious hey, money. there have been a few clubs over the years that haven't made any money, but the AFL are stuck by well, them. Well, exactly. I mean, as, as one AFL executive said to me when GWS made the grand final, it's only cost us $200 million <laughs> to get <laughs> Anyway, so it, it's what is interesting to me, and some of the comments, um, there's still... You know, like, um, you've no idea how difficult these girls are to deal with. They're turning on each other, you know. Oh, I'm sick of that. that oh, men, my. men, listen, women don't fight one another most of the time. And if they do, it's it's not to be condemned into some sort of cat fight thing. No, exactly. I'm sick of men and, commenting about women well, well, like I that think, I think, when women know, have issues or there, there was confrontational. Also, there was also divisions, you know, when the men were doing their last CBA. But Patrick Dangerfield, who spoke out quite strongly at the time about the men's CBA, tweeted, I think, um, after the um, Geelong Kaji Greaves medal was held, the best and fairest supporting the AFLPA. And I think some of the women, and Geelong was the club who I think only 10% of them voted for the deal. So there's some real problems at Geelong. They're not happy. Um, There's been a a tendency to blame some of the delegates and say they're giving their members the wrong information, but they're disappointed that Patrick hasn't been more supportive. So not quite over, but I reckon the deal will get done. Now, Corrie, you have a crush. And I should say... The Crush of the Week is, of course, brought to us by Vital Smarts. They're the Speak Up experts. How relevant is that with what we've just been talking about? With more than 30 years of conversation research, three New York Times bestselling authors and over three million people trained, if you're struggling, as many in the AFLWR and their union, to hold a tough conversation Off in the to office, Vital Smarts, everyone. Or at home, visit vitalsmarts.com au forward slash DSTM to master your speak up skills and create an environment of accountability. Who is your crush? Oh, well, that, that was a BSF sponsor. What am I saying? Corrie, you have a crush. <laughs> I'm going ahead of myself. Who is your crush? You know what? Don't take another week off, Nance. It's, it's, it's not working in your favour. Well, well, that'll be you. I know, you. Jane and I are looking at you going, oh, we'll just let her keep going. Hey. Um, we'll just get to mention Vital Smarts again, which is not a bad thing. Now, my crush, okay, I don't want you to uh, think that I'm self-promoting here. The bookshop turned 10 this week. 
We had yes. a very quiet little birthday. We're going to announce it probably in a week or two in a more substantial way. My bookshop, which is actually its name, funnily enough, is actually my crush of the week. I love my little shop. I won't say it's a shameless self-promotion because it is a great achievement to turn 10. But what, well, it's, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I just want to, <laughs> what I, no, what I want to, what I want to, my crush is the concept of the independent bookshop. And I guess my crush is also the customers who over the years have supported it. And it's not just my bookshop, it's all the other independent bookshops around Melbourne. We are a UNESCO city of literature. There are only three cities that have this status. And I think as Melburnians particularly, we should be very proud. How do you get, how do you become a UNESCO city uh, of literature? Your state, well, in this case, 10 years ago, the state government, led by Greg Highwood at the time, who was then in charge of Tourism Vic, and uh, the government at the time lobbied hard. Uh, they threw a million bucks behind this bid, which at the time I was writing about it, I was sceptical. But once they actually were announced as a city of literature. It's amazing how things then unfold. For example, the Wheeler Centre came into being as a result. So the bookshops of Melbourne, but also whether you live in Perth or Sydney or Brisbane or in country Victoria, wherever you are, your local bookshop is something to really support and love. They're community centres as much as they're retail centres. And what I've loved over the years about this bookshop that I've created is that, and it's like Chris Redfern at the Avenue or read, Mark Rubo at Readings. You, you set up your bookshop, you invite authors to come and talk, readers come and listen, and all of a sudden you've got a community hub. And then we started doing French lessons for children and reading sessions for children. And then we started doing wine tastings in the bookshop. A whole lot of activity came about as a result of this extraordinary Music. group. We've had music. We have don't shoot the messenger. Yanapingu. We've had our amazing podcast. So I just Deb think, Conway, our friend, is that's right. The Deb, Deb sang at the bookshop. We've just had so many amazing moments, and I just wanted to say that my crush really is all are all the people out there who support their local bookshops who go no Amazon. I'm not going to buy this book for 20% less but have to wait eight weeks for it to arrive in the post. No book depository, no booktopia. I want to shop local. I want to go to my bookshop or wherever your bookshop is and I'm going to uh, you know, have that interaction with the staff and be part of a community. So that's my crush, all the bookworms who support their bookshops. Corrie. And happy birthday to us. A very worthy crush. Congratulations. Now, thanks to Vital Smarts, it's now time to, for BSF, and you may as well, you're on a roll. You I have am. a book. I do. So this is a new book by Elliot Perlman, Melbourne writer, Maybe the Horse Will Talk. I don't know why I'm holding it up to the microphone. I'm sure the potties can see, <laughs> but this is it. So Elliot is a Melbourne writer. He's in his 50s. Of course, many will remember his book, Three Dollars, Seven Types of Ambiguity, which was turned into an ABC series a couple of years ago. And more recently, The Street Sweeper, which was long listed for the Miles Franklin a few years ago. Maybe The Horse Will Talk is a change of pace. It is actually a black comedy. And it's set in current times, contemporary Melbourne. And Caro, this is a book, speaking of hashtag me too, this is a book that Elliot has written for the times uh, and for this kind of environment in which we live, where people are grappling in the workplace about what is an appropriate relationship with the opposite sex and what is not. The hero of this story is Stephen Mazaroff, who was uh, formerly a teacher, married a couple of kids, who realised that he was never going to really be able to pay off his mortgage, decided to study law and has become a lawyer. So as an older student or an older law person, he's a second year graduate, a second year into his law firm. So he's at the lowest of the low. He's the plankton on the bottom of the pond. And all around him, everybody's working for partnerships, associateships and everything. And he looks around this I mean, Elliot creates a fantastic environment of a law firm. Think like, you know, 38th floor of the Rialto or something like that. And Mm -hmm. everybody's working till 8 p.m. They don't want to be seen to be leaving early. They're all trying to go for partner. It's tense. It's, It's a pretty toxic situation. Anyway, Stephen discovers that one of the uh, one of the big corporations for which his law firm works has a terrible problem with men. Um, inappropriately touching and hitting on younger women in the workplace. So 
he decides to go forward and go to this company and say, I'm the man who can help you. We'll, we'll pay off the women. We'll put this in the heart to, you know, we'll, we'll bury this and no one will ever know and there'll be no harsh, public, bad publicity and your stock price will stay the same. But when Stephen ingratiates himself in this organisation and the way he does that is hilarious uh, on many levels, uh, he suddenly realises that these women have incredibly legitimate complaints. And this is where the novel shines, Caro, because it does make us reflect on our own work experiences. I tell you what, I went back to when I was a cadet at the age, 18, 19, 20, 21. So many memories, Caro, were buried. Elliot actually, through his humour and his um, his incredible emotional intelligence has actually tapped into the reader's own experiences. I reckon a lot of men will read this and be squirming as well. So it's a terrific book. Maybe the horse will talk. Uh, a great uh, cast of characters, um, Stephen Masaroff's wife who kicks him out because, you know, he she, he's just working too hard. Uh, a young woman he meets in his own workplace, Jess, who becomes a bit of a friend. Um, just a really great cast. I think this book will rock. And Elliot Perlman, of course, at the moment is doing a national tour. So you'll probably hear him on things like John Fain's program or, or whoever it might be. So well done, Elliot. Maybe the horse will talk. That is my book recommendation. Now, you have a screen. I didn't even know he had a new book out. Well, which brings me to the topic of books that are made into movies because I finally went and saw The Goldfinch the other day. Uh, can I just say one of the finest books by Donna Tart of the past 10 years. I love The Goldfinch. Yes, it, I'm a, a bit of... reluctant to see the movie as a result. Well, after it won the – did it win the um, Pulitzer Prize? I think it did. I and um, I think it did. And then the, there was a bit of a backlash and a negative, a very negative article in Vanity Fair about why it wasn't so good. I, I loved the book, although I thought the last 20, 30 pages, she just went into this crazy stream of consciousness rant that – rather didn't degrade the product. It was just a great rattling read. But anyway... It has one of the best opening scenes of any book I've ever read. Yes. Well, the movie, you just... What you need to do with some movies of books you've loved is just forget about the book. True. Because... And, and David Stratton wrote a quite a good... He gave it... I think it's had some really bad reviews. But as David Stratton said, he'd never read the book which I was a bit surprised, David. He'd never read the book, so he went and saw it cold and he He's said... He's a bit surprised. You're surprised. <laughs> I'm a bit... Well, I just thought he would have read The Goldfinch. Anyway, he hadn't, and he really liked the movie as a result. And I must say, I really enjoyed the movie. And on a certain level, which is just a really good story, I mean, obviously so much is left out, but I didn't feel it did not not capture the essence of the novel in some ways, um, which is all you really ask... I think of a movie about a book. I mean, some of the performances. Um, Nicole Kidman was. He 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 did. Who play, does she play? She plays the mother who who takes in um, the character of. Um, oh, I can't even remember his name now. Um, but, uh, the not, main character, Theodore Decker. Yeah. So she plays um, the mother of the school the friend second, who the, takes him in yeah. and into the beautiful Fifth Avenue apartment. And this is a very damaged family, and you see signs of it. But he. Theodore really wants to stay and then his bad egg father turns up with the Vegas girlfriend and they take him back to the desert, which is an utter disaster, where he meets Boris, the damaged Russian who introduces him to drugs. I mean, as you know, this story goes here, there and everywhere. But Nicole captures that sort of removed ethereal sort of waftiness mm. that the mother does um, in with the, the movie. With the unhappy marriage. Mrs. Barber, yep. And then um, the the guy who plays the young Boris, the Russian in the desert, um, Finn Wolfhard, is unbelievable. Luke Wilson as his as the errant alcoholic gambling father is just menacing and brilliant. Who and plays Theodore? Well, there's a child actor who plays him, and that's a guy called Oakes Fegley. But the adult is Ansel Elcourt, and it, it starts. The movie actually starts in Amsterdam, and then there's a series of flashbacks. Um, but look, no, I would. I really enjoyed it. I so, Kara, one one of the things, one of the controversial aspects of this book, which I loved and a lot of readers hated, is that big middle bit when, as you said, they're in the desert, and they're and they're in the desert. Uh, this is not a spoiler alert, but it's a like a it's like a road trip moment in yep. that book, and it's quite long. And I love that. Does it capture that? It doesn't. It, we don't have too long in, right. in the desert. I mean, it's it's a, it's a two-hour movie, so it's impossible to. But there's enough. There's enough of every element of his life 
that I felt I felt it was a, a good attempt. I mean, the Amsterdam scenes are fascinating, the New York scenes are fascinating, and the life in the desert is captured really well as well. So I would say I would de- definitely recommend oh, good. go and see it. So, it, I mean, just very quickly, the best ever literary transformation into a film for me was The French Lieutenant's Woman, which was one of, of course, Meryl Streep's first big movies, one of Jeremy Irons' first big movies. It, Although it was completely different to the book, I thought captured it just brilliantly. Is there, and, and I also really loved Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, mm. even though that's a play. I suppose it's a bit different. What about you? Well, probably Paddington. But um, <laughs> uh I were, the, as you were talking, the first thing that came to mind is actually not a film. It's a television series, which was Brideshead Revisited with yeah. Laurence Olivier and, 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 and the young Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons yeah. as well, yeah. I, I thought that was it, – it, was, it, it honoured so beautifully Oh, that the captured book. all of us, didn't it? That yeah, one, that it did. Absolutely. And it kind of – and what it did, which a good movie or a good television series does, is it makes you go back and read the book again because – there's been something about the television or the movie series, television series, that has um, shed new light and you want to go back and explore it through the words. Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel in Pride and Prejudice. Oh, well, Remember yeah. that series? That just totally... But the other ones I reckon were done really well were the E.M. Forster novels like Passage to India yeah. and Room with a View. And what was that Room one you and I saw? Um, it's out of, gone out of my head. That other Jane Austen with Emma Thompson and... Um, the young Kate Winslet, who was a bit flighty in it. Um, sense and Sensibility. Yeah, that's right. That was great. That was wonderful. Yeah, that was Ang Lee. I he's he's bought, a great yeah, director. That brought a lot of people back to Jane Austen. I think that was a great film. He's got a new film out. We have to keep an eye on that. Well, anyway, that's my film. And you have food now. Nakori, I have found a great new salad. It, um, I cooked it for a group of um, bridge girls who came to stay the oh other night. Oh, my goodness. You've had a bridge getaway. And just an overnighter. Just an overnighter. A friend of Clementine's dropped in a box, you know, just what I need in my house, another box of old magazines, Gourmet Travellers, dating back to 2003, 4, 5. This is from a Gourmet Traveller in 2007. It says it's called the Summer Vegetable Salad with Mint and Lemon Dressing, but all the vegetables are available now. It was served with great acclaim, Corrie, before you roll your okay, eyes. Just read the recipe. There's only four vegetables in it, and we'll put it on our, pod, on our um, website. Two cobs of corn, 16 zucchini flowers trimmed in half lengthways. Now, you don't have to – if you can't get zucchini flowers, just get baby zucchinis and quarter them instead, but leave the little knobbly bit on at the end. Um, three bunches of asparagus, again trimmed and sliced on the diagonal into four centimetre pieces, and 200 grams of potted peas. I used frozen and just blanched <gasps> them. That's all right. Frozen. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, What's anyway. What's the world coming to? The hero of this dish is the mint and lemon dressing, and you've got to get out your mortar and pestle. So I imagine you could use this dressing for other things too. Oh, it is the best dressing. There's lemon juice, there's white wine vinegar, there's lemon-infused extra virgin olive oil. I won't say which brand I bought, <laughs> but we all know. Hello, Mr. Cobham. Two cloves of garlic, two tablespoons um, coarsely grated lemon, two... Well, it says green onions, but that's spring onions in Aussie speak, and a quarter of a cup loosely packed, coarsely torn mint leaves. As you know, I had a lot of mint. So it's a minty, lemony, oily dressing, right? And you just mortar and pestle that up, make it, put it away for a day if you don't have time, and then just pour it over the corn, which is sort of sliced so it's um, in three or four little bits. Yes, I know what you mean. Very pretty. Oh, it, the, Corrie, it is so pretty. I'm, I'm quite impressed by your creativity. Here. Look at the look at the picture. Oh, it is absolutely beautiful. It is the most beautiful salad, and everybody asks for the recipe. So there you go. Oh, okay. That's my recipe of the week. But I must say, it's also healthy and it's absolutely yummy. And yeah, I don't know. I just if you want to make a good new summer salad, that's it. Now, Corrie, you're grumpy. Um, <clears throat> I am grumpy, Caro. I was going to be a bit grumpy about um, Facebook's role in the. Uh, Donald Trump, Ukraine, Joe Biden but matter. Not. But you're not. You're gonna... I just wanted to put that out there <laughs> to see if somebody else is watching and is as grumpy as I. I'm grumpy, Caro, because uh, we found out this week that we have to move house again. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I clearly haven't seen you. I know. Oh. So- we, we rent in the city 
and they've sold our house. I thought you were just going to keep renting it from the new owner. Yeah, well, I was hoping that too, but I think we have to move. So um, I'm on for any moving tips, although can I tell you, having this will be the sixth move in 10 years. Dal, you don't need moving tips. You give moving tips. I do, I do. But I just thought if any potties out there had any particularly uh, fabulous things to get me through – one friend yesterday said, oh, big bottle of white wine, I reckon. <laughs> That's at the end, though, not at the beginning. Oh, no. So, Joe, our friend who's probably listening to this podcast, I haven't told you the good news. You'll be helping me pack boxes of books again and the cutlery drawer. Well, that's the not best. Not the chuff. And, not, and you know what, Carol? That's the best tip. Get Joe another, to help Another you. opportunity to get rid of those bloody weevils out of the pantry. They're still, yeah. Well, look, I'm, I'm No, very, they haven't been around this I'm summer, very but... sorry because it's a very cheery, lovely house you've been living in, but yes. I'm sure you'll find somewhere better. I can't tell you. And you know what? When you're a trader and you're coming up to Christmas, this is exactly what you need. So this is like your grand final. I'm oh. just heading for the home straight. Just get me into a nice little house with Christmas trading behind me. Oh, there I you feel, go. I feel sick for you. I know. I can tell by your face. Come I, around and help me pack the cutlery drawer. I will come around and help you for a little bit. <laughs> no, I thought what I might do is I might send Bearsy off to you for a day or night because it's 17. She's had so many moves in her long life. I don't think she'll be able to cope with move. You know, she's usually there and out of the way and things, but I think I might actually have to send her offshore to your house for a day. The poor dog. He's traumatised. <laughs> She's 17. She's doing okay. Like, yeah, I know. Oh, no, let's face it, they're both on their last legs. Are beautiful she likes dogs. going to your house because you give her a particular kind of medicine that she enjoys. <laughs> now, Corrie, it's time you for... You don't six, want to go there, do you? It's time for six quick questions. Yes. The premiere this week of the Renee Zellweger film about Judy Garland. Now, do you think when I a star... I loved her dress. When a star comes to town to promote a movie that's American, do you assume that they really need to pr- promote this film because it's had bad reviews and it's not possibly. very good? Yeah, possibly. I hate to be cynical, but I always think that and I haven't I'd, seen it. I did love the dress that she wore for the Melbourne it's, premiere. The, One a, shoulder. Beautiful. Oh, it was beautiful. The black dress. Beautiful. Yeah, she looked fabulous. I, I just... Um, she's had a, an interesting career, hasn't she? The way she sort of disappeared for mm-hmm. six years and didn't do any acting. And Anyway, um, what's your recent favourite bi- bio portrayal well, by a Hollywood I'd, actor? I'll give a nod to Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady of 2011, and I'll also give a nod to Russell Crowe as Roger Ailes in the recent Showtime series The Loudest Voice, which I know you enjoyed and we've yep. talked about on this podcast. But my number one uh, big, big mention here is Helen Mirren as the Queen in yeah, that wonderful 2006 was movie. Good. I thought she, I, I, I don't know the Queen, I don't know her very well at all, actually. But um, I've seen her in a crowd. But um, yeah, I thought Helen Mirren really captured the tension and the trauma around the death of Diana period, that 1990s period. I thought that was a really fine performance. And of course, she won an Academy Award for it. Didn't you love Rami Malik? It's Freddie Mercury. I still haven't seen it. Oh, Corrie. I know it was my challenge back a few months ago. That you've, it's such a fun, such a, and he won the Oscar too, I think. Yeah, he won the Oscar for Best Actor yeah, as well. Oh, I can't comment on that. Caro, what's your view on journos who bag other journos and their stories? I loathe it. Who's, I loathe who's it. Who's done it now? And it makes me grumpy. Oh, look, there are people in this building who've done it recently, I've got to say. They um, get very sensitive when they don't agree with the story or that they think they've got control over that particular football club or that particular issue. But I have always hated it. It's a practice done by some organisations and not others. Um, it used to happen. I mean, it used to. The Herald Sun used to do it to me all the time, and the Australian, which I just found quite amusing. Why they didn't spend more time worrying about, and they, you know, they've got some very good journos and break a lot of stories. But I don't understand why they do it. I don't understand why we can't be a bit better than that. Mm, um, I think so, I agree. I think we should. Don't worry about what other people are writing. Just if go it, and find your own if story, wrong, everyone. If it's wrong, go and find the right story and leave the journal out of it. Now, it's the 50th anniversary of the premiere of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, I can't I, believe that. 50 I can, years. Oh, I can remember my older brother Steve used to watch it and I used to, I think. He loved it. And I, I think I used to sneak downstairs because I would be put to bed and I could hear that music. And I would race down. I have a memory of racing down the stairs to come and to watch it and sneaking in. I, I don't know where my mother was. She would have had I can't a believe it's 50 years. I know. Well, we're getting old. Really? Yep. So what's so, the question? Well, what's your, who's your favourite python? Oh, okay. Well, look, it's a line ball. John Cleese, clearly, because he's just such a great 
straight man. Also reminds me a lot of Jeff Slattery too. Well, that's, but that's I, your favourite part. Yeah, but I'd also say Terry Gilliam because he was the animator. You know, he was the cartoonist, the American, as everybody remembers him. But that distinctive Monty Python, the cartoons and the animations were just so off the off the wall. They were unbelievably ahead of their time and they were so incredibly clever. We had never seen anything like it. So I think probably John for on screen and Terry for off screen. I just can't believe it's 50 years. Caro, will you be boycotting Ride Like a Girl following the current Darren Weir controversy? Look, no, I won't. And I did mean to see it this week during my mini break, but I chose Downton Abbey instead, <laughs> as well as the Goldfinch, but I didn't bother mentioning Downton once Abbey. Once again, we had a diary date, and once again, you've gone off without me. Anna from the op shop, um, Anna from the op Stood shop reviewed, reviewed it. No, she reviewed it oh, for that's us right. a she couple of weeks ago. And her review was actually very good, having seen the film. It was a rainy day. I was on my own, sorry, but it was just too too mm. tempting. Hot chocolate in the <laughs> cinema. Um, but down, Ride Like a Girl, look, these new charges, I mean, the police charges, the animal cruelty are, are pretty horrifying. And um, I think Rachel Griffiths just took the decision when she was making the film and the scandal first broke about Darren Weir. This is a film about a woman who became a jockey and won a race that no one ever thought a woman could win. And mm. and that is what she's stuck with and she is stuck with that story. And Michelle Payne, who's had a bit of a checkered time since she's won the Melbourne Cup, um, she has said that, you know, all she wants to say about Darren Weir is that he gave her a chance and he was always good to her. So I can understand that, but I think it's really unfortunate for the film. And I know it's been out now for a few weeks and I think they're lucky that the charges, I know that Darren, everyone knew about Darren Weir before the, um, before this, but, um, the actual charges and the wording of some of the stuff he did to those poor horses has come out now. Um, I will go and see it anyway. Yes, because- I will. And I think people should actually. Congratulations, by the way, to Anna from the Op Shop. They had their big opening of the new Sacred Heart Mission this week. And a lot of podcast listeners, I, I, I unfortunately had a speaking gig, but a lot of our podcast listeners went, including Alex Howard, who's married to my cousin. She walked away with a beautiful piece of clothing. They thought they were going to make about, they were hoping to make 30 grand, raise that much money. I think they made closer to 50. Oh, yay. Yep. Or oh, well done, 45. Anna and everyone at Sacred Heart. Yes. That's great. I couldn't yes. get there either, unfortunately. I was babysitting. Now, Corrie, what is a clean fluencer? Okay. What on earth is a clean fluencer? Well, you know how we have influencers on uh, Instagram, Caro, uh, the people who take up the most fashionable of the moment uh, issues and causes and looks. The Instagram clean fluencer elevates housework to a whole new realm. So it, it's women primarily who have a fetish about housework. Oh. And it started with Mrs. Hinch. Now, we have Mrs. Hinch's uh, cleaning book in our shop. Mrs. Hinch is actually... Related so- to Sophie. Darren? No. <laughs> One of the many wives he's had. No, no, it's not. Her name is Sophie Hinchliffe, and she's a 29-year-old hairdresser from Essex. And a couple of years ago, she started an Instagram account, just how to keep a tidy house, early 2018. She started with a 1,000 followers. Caro, she now has 2.8 million followers. 2.8 million. Wow. That's just in a year, Caro. She is a clean I mean, we think we're doing well with the don't shoot Instagram account. Yeah. We've cracked a thousand. Yeah, we have cracked that. But um, anyway, there are a whole lot of new clean fluences now. People like Gemma Bray, who's known as the organised mum, uh, Nicola Lewis, who is the person behind This Girl Can Organise. And basically what they do on, on Instagram is they show you how to keep a tidy house, everything from cl- cleaning stains out of furniture or dresses to how to stack a bathroom cupboard that's neat and tidy. So, oh, look, I just that. I just felt you needed to know what a clean fluencer was because when I first mentioned it to you, you looked at me with glazed eyes, clearly had no idea. I did have no idea. So there you go. Um, now, what's your GLT, Caro? So many things, Corrie. But, and this is going to sound a bit sort of boring and a bit regimented, but, Corrie, it's October and it's almost mid-October. Rocktober. It is time. Or as someone, did you know about Rocksober? Oxober? I mean, I knew about Dry July and Febfast. I never knew there was an Oxober. That what's that's Oxober? You don't, it's another month of not drinking. Ox. 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 Sober. 
like October, but October. Oh, okay. Like God. dry July. Did you, you know say that a that? few times? No. Why don't people just give up drinking for the whole year? Make it very easy. Well, it's good to have a sort of month thing. No, my, no it's not. My GLT <laughs> it's confusing. is get out that well-worn diary if you still use a paper diary or if you insist on doing it on your phone like most people do now. Start making appointments. I'm talking, what do you mean? I'm talking personal um personal um what is it? Hygiene. What no that's what? personal grooming, hair. What? Put in the diary. Remember to wear deodorant. No, today. no, no, no. I'm talking about booking booking pedicures, booking hair oh, appointments. Hair colour. You need to do all that stuff I've because short with that this every, week. Every, well exactly. I was so grey, I looked like my grandmother. Do it till Christmas. Do it till Christmas. Get in your diary now and get on the phone and all those medical appointments you haven't made this year that you still haven't done. Have you had your mammogram yet? Have you been to see your obstetrician? Have you been to the dentist? This, If you don't do it now, you're not going to get any appointments. If you're a chap, what's the chap's uh, version of that? It's my G- Oh, Jane just put her finger up. It's my GLT, Corrie. Are you meaning that they have to go and have a... Go, look. Jane, look. Look, look at... Um, look, look at your diary... Look at you, exactly. Look at your diary and start to make appointments and do them up until Christmas. And don't come whinging to me if you turn up with, you know, I don't know, bad hair one day and say you couldn't get an appointment. Do it now and you'll be set. It will make your life so much easier. Okay. Also, can I add to you a good local tip? Best diary selection at the moment is Office Works, but don't wait too long because they don't rebuy. Most shops actually don't rebuy diaries. Once they're gone, they're gone. So go off to Office Works. Oh, okay. Well, or you can come to the bookshop you if you want. Sell, you oh, no, you we sell nice well, artistic no, ones. We have nice artistic ones, uh, V&A, that sort of thing, um, Royal Horticultural Society. But if you want a good basic office one, black, I've just bought it, ready to rock and roll, I'll put my hair are appointments you a, Are in you it. a day to a page? I have to be. There's too much going on. That's impressive. Now, it's been lovely to see you again. I'm very sorry about the fact you're having to move. I'm looking forward to what you're going to cook me this weekend, and we can talk about that at some point soon. Tell your friends and family, please, to subscribe to our podcast. There's nothing like a good recommendation from a friend. We hope you'll recommend our show. We love getting your feedback and comments and tips. And and five stars, Cara. We love five stars if you can rate us. Go to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page on Instagram or, t- or Twitter, 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 using the handle at Don't Shoot Pod, or you can email us via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you to Vital Smarts. Thank you to Jane Neild, our wonderful producer, and Corrie. Don't shoot the messenger, girls. <laughs> <laughs>